0: Good morning, Victory Church. How you doing? Good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning. My name is Troy. My wife, Darla and I get the absolute privilege to pastor this church. And if you are visiting with us this morning, uh, first of all, let me just say welcome. And as Brian and Zoe have talked about, do us a favor and connect with us. You can do that with the card that's in front of you in the seat uh, pocket in front of you, or you can just do it at the Welcome Center or online, different ways. Just connect with us. Let us know you're here. We got a team that wants to reach out to you this week and say, thank you for coming. And then how can we help get you connected? Because as Brian said, Easter's just a couple of weeks away, and you don't want to come on Easter as a visitor. You want to come Easter at part of the family, amen? All right, it needs to be good. Uh, I do want to say a couple things real quick. First of all, because of your faithfulness, we are able to partner with Convoy of Hope. And I wanted to let you know that uh, we got an email last night that Convoy of Hope is already on the grounds in Mississippi. Uh, in case you're following that, there were tornadoes that did a lot of damage. 23 people right now dead as they've counted. And Convoy of Hope is there on the site providing water and other needed supplies. And they are able to do that because of churches and organizations like ours that support them financially. And so thank you so much for being faithful with your ties and your offerings and because we're able to do that so if you see something like that you see a report and you go man I wish I could do something you are doing something you are already doing something over there and you should be excited about that uh, the church is growing in case you haven't opened your eyes over the past eight to nine weeks God is really doing something in our church uh, uh, this year we, we want, we've now been here watch this this Sunday is our one year anniversary in this building come on come on If we're not careful, we'll forget about God's faithfulness, and all of those that used to help set up and tear down every weekend, can't you thank God for a second? Hallelujah. Y'all done got selfish. You enjoy your Fridays. You forgot about what God used to do or what God did, and so I won't. Never mind. Let me get off my soapbox for a second. Um, But as Brian mentioned, our egg hunt or egg stuffing that happened this week, I was telling the Dream Team before service, I think last year we had about seven or eight people show up, and three of them were from my family. Uh, And so it was an interesting situation, but this year, just to show you the growth of the church, there were like 40 people in that room stuffing eggs. Come on, give yourself a hand. I know you already did it once. Do it again. Um... And so with that, here's what I want you to get excited about. We, we believe, we prayed, and we believe that starting Easter Sunday, we are to go to two services every Sunday here at Victory Church, uh, a 9 o'clock and a 10.30. And so for those of you that like to sleep in, say praise God, right? You get to come to a 10.30 service now. But uh, I want to tell you a couple things that, that to help you because, look, we'll be getting into the summer, and you might say things like, well, did we need that? Let me tell you why we need it, a couple reasons. Outside of two Sundays, the, the Super Bowl Sunday and the, the Daylight Saving Sunday, Every Sunday that we've had church in 2023, we've had somewhere between four to seven people in our overflow room who couldn't fit in this service. And I had a friend tell me, they said, well, let me ask you this, because I was like, you know, do we have to go to two services? Do we need to? And he said, well, could a family of six walk into your church this Sunday and find a seat together? And I was like, I don't think they could. And he said, well, in that kind of attitude, you are destined to decline he said, you need to, and I had a, a pastor friend of mine say, you should already be in two services already. And so we weren't quite ready yet, but now we're ready. Uh, and starting Easter Sunday, 9 and 1030. And then we will begin from that point forward, 9 and 1030. So do me a favor, spread the word for all your lazy. Friends and family that have told you I want to go to church with you, but nine's too early. Tell them, guess what? God answered your prayer. All right, so you can be there at ten thirty. Uh, it's going to be a great, great time and great vision for us as we uh, provide excellence to that, and then get ready for the fall to tell our community we are here. Combo services. We believe God's going to do something really great as He is already. Amen. Church. Amen. All right. Hey, if you got your Bibles, turn to the Book of John, chapter six. John is in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 6, as you're turning there, we're in a series that'll come to a close, Easter Sunday, called This Is Also True, where we're taking truths that can be negative often. They're often truths that the enemy reminds us of. And then we are talking about what is also true according to scripture, or like I like to say it, what God said is true were. Um, so the enemy might say things we talked about, or well, the very first week we talked about how I have faith, but I have doubt, right? And while we can move forward with faith in God, we also have doubt. And the next week, we talked about how I'm not okay. We talked about mental health, and I'm not okay, but that's okay. And we talked about how God gets involved in that. Um, And then last week, uh, oh, we talked about the fact that I have a past, but I also have a future. And so it's been a pretty awesome series, and we're going to continue today. We've been a lot about the mind and ourselves. Today, I want to talk a little bit more how God wants to work through you and use you to impact lives. So John chapter 6, we're going to start reading. And then we will go from there. It says, Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him. So this great crowd is following Jesus. Here's why they they are following him. Because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. So they're seeing these miracles that Jesus is doing. He's building up a crowd. And it says, Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and he sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. That's just to give you context of the time of the year. And when Jesus looked up and he saw a great crowd coming toward him, he then looks to Philip, one of his disciples, and he says, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He looks at his disciples and says, we got to feed these people. How do you want to do it? He asked this. This is important for you to see. He asked this only to test him. For Jesus already knew what he had in mind to do. Philip answered him, well, it would take more than half of a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one of these people to just have a bite. So in other words, there's nothing we can do to feed these people. And then all of a sudden, here comes a glass half full, Andrew, An- another one of his disciples, Andrew Simon Peter, spoke up. He said, hey, here's a boy with a lunch. Here's a boy with some bread and some fish. Maybe we can feed 15,000 people with this little you know, lunch from five guys, and then all of a sudden... Here's what he says. He says, here is a boy with five, everybody say small, small small barley loaves, and two, everybody say small, small small fish. But I love this question. Even though he presented it to God, he says, but how far could this stuff go among so many people? There's so many people, and what we have is so small, so what could really be the impact? My my word for you this morning is, is for those in here that you really want to be used by God and you really want to see something great in your life, but you have a hard time taking the eyes off the little that you have to bring to the table. Here's what I want to talk to you about. I have a little and I have a lot. I felt the spirit of Jennifer Lopez. Do you remember? Used to have a little, now I have a lot. Da-da-da, now I'm just Jenny from the block. Yeah. It's my J-Lo my JLo impression. In case y'all were like, when is that going to happen again? There it is, all right? You're welcome. I have a little and I have a lot. It's interesting how often little things can have an impact. My wife and I were always working on our marriage. Uh, we, we did a marriage conference in February, which was incredible, and often you know, thank you. Uh, I don't, well, praise God, I don't know who I'm saying, thank you to. Um, but, but we often are always trying to walk, or work and communicate on how to have a better marriage, and most of the time it's her telling me how to be better. right? Can I get an amen guys? Um, and, it, and a lot of times it's around the concept of communication and affirmation, and she'll say things, she'll just say, babe, I need you to affirm me more, I need you to, to say what you're thinking, because I'm like, you know, I love you, uh, I think about you, she's like, I need you to say it, and you would think a man who communicates for a living would be good at communicating at home, but I'm just not, and so there'll be times where I really try, so one Sunday, y'all, this was, I don't know, a couple years ago, maybe maybe a year ago, uh, We we come into the building, and I had gotten here early, she had come a little bit late. And so I hadn't seen her, and worship was going on, and she had this dress on that kind of had these black and white patches, all right? They kind of, if, if, if I was just to be honest with you, it kind of looked like, like the pattern of a cow, okay? Don't get ahead of us, all right? So worship's great, you know, it's just to make, which, side note, can we give God praise for worship? Man, it's insane, Woo getting thick in this place. I'm going to have to not even preach anymore here soon. Worship just going to take it off. So worship's over and the Holy Spirit's in me and I'm feeling all lovey-dovey and gracious. And I turn and I see my wife and I'm like, here's my time to affirm her. And so I walked over and I gave her a hug and I gave her a kiss. I looked her in the eyes and I said, it's just the, the first thing that popped in my mind. I just said, you look like a sexy cow. <laughs> Two things happened. One, Christina was sitting kind of behind us and she you could see it in her face. She just knew like, that's bad. Like, that's not going to go right. And I thought, like, this is going to be, like, I'm about to earn some points. And I took one step forward and 37 steps backwards. You know what I mean? It was just terrible. And I didn't realize, let's, let me just give it real quick. How many of y'all think that did not go well for me? Anybody in here? Wow, y'all are so smart. It didn't, it didn't go well at all. Um, and I just didn't understand the influence of something so small. Just, just a, a small word, right? Just a small word ruins everything. I think one thing that you and I can agree with is that sometimes small things can have huge impacts. (laughs) It can be a small comment, right? Uh, It can be a small action. I'm learning this the older I get. It can be a small thought. I can just have a small thought and all of a sudden something big happens. I can have a small comment. If social media has taught us anything, it's that just one small comment can have a huge impact. And the more I follow God, the more and more I learn that, especially when it comes to God and a relationship with God, small things can have huge huge impacts. I actually believe that our God wants to change the way that you and I see size. I think that's one thing that happens when we study Scripture, is that the Holy Spirit will actually change the way that we see size. Because often what we do is we have the tendency to call big what God considers small and to call small what God considers big. It's just naturally in us. There'll be something that according to Scripture and according to the Spirit of God, that's a big thing, but we'll call it small. And then there'll be something that according to the Spirit of God and the Word of God will be, will be small, but we'll call it big. I'll just give you a couple of examples. Um, for example, there was, there was was. it's always throughout Scripture where it seems like God is actually kind of shrinking things because when you, when you watch and study the followers of God, they assume, like you and I assume, which is bigger is better, right? It's just kind of a natural assumption. Bigger is better. And I was thinking about just different examples, like there's this story in the Bible with Gideon's army, and God goes through this whole process of shrinking his army time and time and time again. And you and I would assume that the, if there was any quality of an army that you would want, it's that it would be a big army, Right? And the last thing we want is a little small army, but God just continued to to kind of uh, decline it until it was smaller and smaller and smaller. I was thinking about the New Testament and how when Jesus got ready to send out the disciples, he sent them out two by two. And he said, don't take anything. Like you would think if anything, he would encourage them to take all of this stuff. Take food and trail mix and bottled water and, you know, a pillow and a jacket. Take all these things. And God says, or Jesus says, "Don't, don't take any of it. Don't take any of it. There were times where the crowds would start to get bigger as they were following Jesus, and Jesus would do something specifically to cause that crowd to shrink. And so I'm just telling you, as you read Genesis all the way to Revelation, you're going to see a pattern of God often causing bigger to shrink down to less. We think that God should always make less bigger, but sometimes God makes bigger less. And here's why I think that is. Because often it's in the less that God can reveal himself to be God. Because the more of it we have, the less it is, less likely it is for us and other people to believe God was involved. But when he does something great through something less, it's a little bit easier to believe, man, God must have been in that. I think our God is the God of small things. I think he's the God of small things. And I think when you and I allow scripture to begin to reshape our idea of size, watch this, We will learn to see the day of big things, not only off in the future, but here right now, in the midst of what seems small. Let me explain that. Often what we do is we look at what we have, and if it's small, we start to believe, assume, pray, and hope that big is in the future, God, I know it's small right now, but do something big. It's going to be big. It's going to be. It's going to be. We cast out this vision of bigger in the future because we look at what we have as small. But scripture says if we'll study it, it'll reshape it where not only do we see big in the future, but watch this. We start to see big where we are right now. That it may seem small to human eyes, but to God, there's something special about it. When I first got saved and started attending church, and especially when I got excited about ministry and knew I wanted to be called to ministry, I heard people say this all the time, I want to do something big for God. You ever heard people say that? I want to do something big for God. we just be talking, oh, I can't wait to do this. Why? Because I want to do something big for God. Something big for God. <laughs> it's just, it's, I don't know what it is. just something in us. I just wanna, nobody walks around going, I want to do something really small for God. <laughs> right? So I always want to do something big. And I understand that we want to do something big for God, but I think he wants us to be someone who is faithful with the little that we have. So this message is going to challenge you in a couple different ways, but here's the first way. Quit wanting to do something big for God and just be faithful with the little that you have. Quit trying to establish your worth based off of how big what you accomplish is. And understand, and I had a friend tell me this yesterday, success is obedience. Just being faithful in the little that you have, right? So I want to give you kind of a a thought, a challenge that we're going to open up in John chapter 6. And here's the thought. Be careful what you call small. Be careful what you call small. Let's go back to John chapter 6. Jesus is seeing this large crowd coming The disciples say they're getting hungry. It's getting late. We need to send them away so they can eat. Clearly, we don't have the resource to feed them here. There's no Chick-fil-A, right? There's no way to cater. We need to send them back home. And Jesus says, time out. I got a plan. How can we feed them? And I think there's just an interesting conversation here as Andrew brings up the the barley loaves and the fish. He, He introduces it to Jesus. He says, Jesus, look what we have. I think this is so ironic. He says, Jesus, look what we have. However it's very small. Like why even bring it up to Jesus to begin with, right? Why even be like, I don't know about this, let's not." But he says, "Jesus, look what we have. We have a small barley loaves and we have two small fish." So he he presents it to Jesus. Watch this. Then he immediately belittles it. "Jesus, here what we have, but it's not much. Here's what we have to work with, but there's so many people." And and even now in today's culture, we look at that and we're like, oh, the disciples are so silly. This is what we do. God, look what we have, but it's not much. Look what I can do, but it's not a lot amongst so many people. The disciples are seeing the fish and the bread, but they don't see the potential in it because they don't understand what they have in their midst. One of our enemy's goals, listen to me. has always been to belittle what we have. The moment you decided to follow Christ, the moment you abandoned self-focused life to follow Jesus, the moment you decided to go to church, the moment you decided to read your Bible, the moment you started to pray, the moment you decided to start serving for God, living for God, giving your life to God, sharing the gospel, the moment you decided all these things, the enemy set in motion a goal to belittle what you're working with. That was his goal, because he knew that if you ever fully understood what you're doing and what you have in the midst of God, it would be over for him. So if he could just make you think that what you have is too small for God to do anything, he stops you before you even get started. So he tries to get us to focus on these things. Number one, what we don't have. Number two, what we used to have. And then number three, what we don't have compared to what other people have. And so we say things like this. Um, man, I'll, I'll never do anything great for God because I don't have the talent that they have, right? We're comparing ourselves. There's a belittling of what we have. Here's one you might have said before. Um, I, don't, I don't know that I'll ever be able to do anything great for God or to share the gospel or anything because I don't know as much about the Bible as they do, Right? Again, belittling. Here's one I think we've all probably at some point in our life said. I can't tithe because I don't have enough money, right? What I have is too little. Let me belittle it. Let me look at what I have and at some point put it down and and put it down level and, and belittle it and say, there's no way God could use this because it's not enough. There's no way God could use my talent. There's no way God could use my time. There's no way God could use my tithe. There's no way God could use my family. There's no way God could use my mind. There's no way God could use my knowledge. There's no way God could use my testimony. Why? There's just not much to it. Not much to it. And if we aren't careful, we will excuse ourselves from God's greater vision. Because we believe that we don't have enough for God to work with. You ever done it? You ever literally excused yourself from something God was doing? Because all you could think about was either A, I don't have anything worth talking about, or B, I don't have anything compared to those who are already involved. And we excuse ourselves. And I want us to understand that God is working in all things. Do you believe it? That God is working in all things? Notice the Bible doesn't say God works in all big things, but that God works in all things, not just the big momentous things. He has a history of using small things to accomplish big things. Your God, everybody say my God, God. the God you read about in your scripture, the God you just worshiped and praised, that God, the one and only true God. The God who is alive, he's not dead. The God who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That God is a God that uses small things <laughs> to do great things. When there was a giant that needed to die, God used a small boy. Remember? it's what the scriptures say. They say he was a small boy. They also said he watched over a small amount of sheep. So now his significance is in question, right? Then he took a small stone and killed a big giant. So God will take a small boy who's watching over a small group of sheep with a small stone and do something big. When Elijah was praying for God to bring back the rain, the Bible said that Elijah saw a small cloud. The Bible actually defined it as the size of the palm of his hand. He saw a small cloud. When Elijah's dealing with the widow and God's going to use the widow to feed him, the Bible says, uh, he asked her, what do you have left? She says, I have a small amount of oil. And he says to her, well, use it and make me a small loaf of bread, right? And we know the story. Went on to feed her family, went on to continue to continue to continue. God tells us to have faith the size of a what? Small mustard seed. Tricked you. Jesus told the disciples, go get me a small boat ready. Mary had a small jar of alabaster. The widow had two small coins. And today we're reading about small barley loaves and small fish. What I'm telling you is from Genesis to Revelation, what you see in the character of God is someone who takes small things and does great things. So if there's ever a point where you're looking around going, well, I just don't think I have much to offer. Compared to them, what I have is small. Compared to them, I got small knowledge. I've only been saved for a little bit. I only know a few small verses. I only got a little talent. That's exactly what God needs. Because once he gets it, then it becomes big. He loves to do great things through what we call small. I love serving and living for a God who does big things in what I call small. Time and time and time again, he did it with a little, watch this, because he wanted us to know that it doesn't take a lot. Remember when you were a kid and you were growing up and your parents would tell you, you just need a little. It doesn't take a lot. Whoa, 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 you just need a little. It doesn't take a lot. That's the Father Spirit of God. Hey, you don't need a lot. You don't need a lot. Just look at my track record. You don't need a lot. You just need a little. Years ago, we were at Darla's parents' house, and I was in one of the rooms on the couch watching TV. Psych, to be uh, exact. It's a TV show called Psych. The Lord blessed it. Um, I'm watching it enjoying it. All of a sudden, I started feeling this really weird discomfort, like, in my back. I I couldn't really define it, but it just felt weird. So I started like moving up and down the couch. You know what I mean? Just trying to think maybe if I sit like this and I'd get up, I'd go to the restroom, and get a little bit of relief and I'd come back and he'd come back again. And I'd be moving up and down the couch and all this stuff. And her mom's a retired nurse. And so I got all, all off the couch and I walked into the kitchen and she was in the kitchen and I leaned down on the countertop and she said, what's wrong? I said, I don't know. I got this weird pain in my back. I said, it's not, I don't know how to explain it. Like it's not hurting super bad, but it's just uncomfortable. And I said, but no matter what, like, I'll move it, and I'll get a little bit of relief, and then it'll hit again. And she looks at me without even skipping a beat, and she goes, you got a kidney stone. And I said, no, 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 I don't have a kidney stone. I said, number one, my kidneys are perfect, okay? Um, I said, but here's what I know. I said, I've always heard that kidney stones are like labor for men, right? Y'all ever heard that? All right, hold on, ladies, before you just, I'm just telling you, I don't agree with them. I'm just saying, I agree with them, okay? But it was, if a man was to experience labor pains, they say that's what a kidney stone is equivalent to. So I'm telling her, I'm like, it's not that bad. Like, I don't, you're, you're wrong. And I mean, 60 seconds after I said that statement, something dropped, something hit, and I went into like three-year-old, oh! You know I mean? I was Michael Jackson hitting the high nose, baby. I was hurting. I'm like, Darla, you got to go. And she's like, get him, take him to the hospital. So she throws me in the truck. We're flying down the street. Every, she's hitting every speed bump at 60 miles an hour. I mean, like when a speed bump hits, the truck comes apart like a transformer and comes back down. And I mean, every time, it's a, it hurts, but it's kind of relieving. I'm like, oh, oh, oh. You know, it's just a constant. We get to the hospital, they, uh, and you know, you know how the hospitals are. Sorry, nurses, doctors, but it's interesting. So I'm in the waiting room waiting to be seen. I'm sitting. All the chairs have these, like, arm rails. I'm laying across the arm rails just because the pressure pushed up against my back. We're waiting. We're waiting. They finally put us in a room. I'm pacing because I can't lay down. Darla's so stressed, she gets in the hospital bed, all right? She's like, if you're not going to use it, I'm going to use it, um, <laughs> Another little sermon for you right there. And so she gets in the bed. I'm walking around. Finally, they come and give me, you know, the drugs, and I can feel it going through my veins like I'm the Dave Chappelle guy. You know, I'm just like, oh, goodness. I can feel it. And all of a sudden, the relief hits, and I'm, I'm out. I'm just out, knocked out. And they leave me in the hospital for a couple days, um, and, they, and they start the whole filtering situation, you know, giving me fluids so that I can flush out the kidney stone. And finally, that, that stone makes its appearance and they collect it. How wrong is that? You know, who wants to see the bullet they were shot with, you know? And they bring it over to me, and I'm expecting, y'all, if you would have pause life and said, Troy, considering the pain you just went through, how, what kind of size do you expect this? First of all, stone. That's a big word, okay? Stone tells me I can break a glass window with a stone, right? Um, and so I'm expecting maybe like the size of a walnut, you know, maybe something like that easy, worst, you know, best case scenario, a marble, you know, something, something pretty, you know, excruciating. And so I'm ready for them to hand this to me and me need to both hands to hold it. You know, that's kind of what I'm <laughs> expecting. And they put it in my hand and I'm not lying to you. It's like the size of a grain, a, a grain of pepper. <laughs> and I'm like, you made a mistake, doctor, because you saw me walking around crying like a six-year-old girl. And there's no way that this did that to me. And they said, no, no. And the doctor said, this. He said, it's crazy how something so little can have such a big effect, right? If you, I know y'all are like, oh, we need to get that out of our, if you've ever had a kidney stone, you know that something so little, can I get an amen, Chris, wherever you are, something so little can do something so big. It's true. Guess what it's also true with? You, that somebody who has something so little can be used to do something so big. All you got to do is give it to God. Now, there's no way God can do anything with that. If he can bring me to my knees with a grain of pepper, then he can do something great through you. Amen? But here's the problem. We often connect size with significance. And this is a problem in our culture, y'all. And it's just getting worse and worse and worse that we somehow uh, connect our significance to size. Let me give you some examples. Um, You're on social media. How many followers do you have, right? How many likes did you get? Significance connected to size. How much money do you make? How how many friends do you have? How, How big is your house? How big is your car? We always connect things. With significance. And one of the worst places, I'm just testifying to you for a second. One of the worst places in organizations when it comes to size and significance is the church. It's crazy. You do it. I'll give you some examples. Maybe not here because, you know, we're all perfection believers. But, you know, all the other people out there. You know, you you go to churches and you walk in and there's an immediate significance by size. "Mm, It's a big church. Oh, it's a small church. da-da-da-da-da. There's just something ingrained in us that does that. But watch, the worst, listen to me, the worst people who allow size to define significance is pastors. It's insane. And I wish I could stand up here all high and mighty and be like, well, that's not me, you know. But I've been there. I've done it. I mean, I would go to these pastors meetings before 2020 hit. And they were all about networking and connection. And I would get in this room and it was amazing because the, the only first question from every person was how big's your church? And for the guy who runs 6,000, that's a fun question to be asked. You know, you almost want to be asked. You almost ask people the size of their church so that they will then say, well, what about you? And you go, well, I'm running 6,000 people. You know what I mean? But for the individual who's just started a church, or who's been pastoring for 40 years and the church runs 75 people, that, that there's a weird moment there where you're being asked, and as a human being, you don't really know if your answer defines your significance or not. It's just something in us, right? There's just something inside of us that wants to measure our value and our impact by the size of what we have to offer. And can I get a little bit psychological for you for a second? I think often we want to call it small first so that others don't get a chance to. If I call it small, then you don't get to. If I talk about my talents as insignificant, then you don't get to. And so again, that insecurity in us that thinks size defines significance, we walk into a room and watch this, we'll either lie about size there's a joke in the church world, counting Pentecostal, you know, where there'll be six people in a room and they're like, we got 60 people. You know, it's just like, there'll either be that lie in us that wants to talk about. You know. well, here, here's what I do. I oversee all facilitation of an organization. Like, you're the janitor. You know what I mean? Like, there's just a way for us to want to exaggerate. Or we just want to call it small first. If I can just walk into the conversation and I can call it small, then you don't need to. And that's a problem that's birthed out of the belief that size defines significance. A few weeks ago, a buddy of mine, he planted a church in Goodlitzville, Um, And right now, they're, they're, they're renting out a current church space. So they have church on Sunday nights. And he called me uh, about a month ago or so and said, hey, would you mind coming out and, and preaching one night for, at our church? I said, sure, I'd love to. And so we did church here. And then I went and had lunch and went home and freshened up. And then I drove out to Goodlitzville to preach at this church. Um, And I'll be honest with you, I was exhausted. I was tired. I I preached the same sermon I had preached to you guys that morning. I just altered a little bit for what I knew about his church. And I arrived and I got to see the building and and see the room they meet in. I got to meet the worship leader and a few of the people and I went to a little room and prayed and kind of got my mindset ready. And then I came out for worship and worship was great. And they had actually sang one of my favorite songs and they did it really well. And so I just like, man, that was awesome. And so I got up to preach. And y'all know me. Y'all know how I am as I'm preaching. So I told my buddy, I was like, I don't need a stand. I said, I, don't, I just put a microphone on me and move out the way. I was like, I just need to know my barriers. Where can I go and where can I not go? And he gave me, I said, can I go on the floor? He said, you can. I said, all right, get ready, let's go. And, and we dove into the Word. And I preached my heart out. And it was so cool because people were responding so well. There was one guy kind of about the front row vaping. That was interesting to me. Um <laughs> As cool as that was, please don't start that all right but, but I love I, I thought that's cool right he's new new to the Lord uh, I, I learned that there was a couple people there, not not through. Uh, the sermon I did, but through past sermons that my buddy had preached, there was a couple that were atheists and they had gotten saved at his church. And, and everybody was so responsive. The worship leaders, they were plugged in, so were ours, but they're plugged in and listening. And you had couples all throughout, and they were just amening me down and I'm shouting and, you know, veins sticking out of my neck and just having a great time. And, and, and it's just amazing. And when the service ends and we pray and it's a great time and I'm shaking hands, this couple comes up to me. They're new to the church. They're from Memphis. They wanted to come up and uh, at some point in the sermon, I mentioned that, you know, I probably said, thankful I'm alive. You know, something like that. Um, And they came up to meet me and that he was going to get baptized the next Sunday. And I was like, man, it's awesome. And so everybody kind of, you know, leaves and just some of the staff and my my buddy is there. And I walk up and talk to him for a second. You know, hey man, you know, how was it? Was it good? And we chit chat. And he says to me, he says, hey man, I want to apologize. And I said, for what? He said, it's smaller. It was smaller in here than it normally is. And I was like, "Oh, really? Like, okay. You know, I don't have any context, okay." And he goes, "Well, we had a wedding last night, and my worship leader got married to another lady in the church, and so everybody was at the wedding. It was real late, having a good time." And so he said, "So I think it impacted a lot of people coming to church." And I was like, "Cool, no problem, man. I mean, because you know, my insecurity—this is your church, so I'm not dealing with my insecurities. You know what I mean? If it was here, it's a whole other story." Um, and so I was like, "No, it's no big deal, no big deal." So you know, we we hung out, talked for a little bit. I met his wife. met his kids. And then I left and went home. Didn't think anything about it. Great night. Came home, told Darla all about the guy vaping on the front row, told about people getting saved, all this kind of stuff. And two days later, I wake up in the morning to a voice memo from my buddy. And I'm not really sure what it is. So I wait for a little bit till I'm up and ready to go. And, and I hit play on it. And here's what it says. It says, hey, man, I want to thank you again for coming out and preaching he said, but I, I really need to let you know, it's something been on my heart for a couple days and I can't get over it and I just got to confess to you. He said, I told you that there were less people there that morning and he said, and that's not true. He said, I told you that, that a lot of people had been at the wedding. He said, and to be honest with you, the only two people who were not there that would normally be there was the worship leader and his wife. He said, I just, he said, I just convicted by saying that to you, I need to let you know. It broke my heart, so I sent him a voicemail. Here's what I told him, I said, don't you ever, ever apologize for that. I said, man, I talked to a young man that's going to be baptized this Sunday. I talked to a couple that were atheists just a few weeks ago when they're living for Jesus. I said, I'm looking at a room, 30, 40 people who are shouting me down while I'm preaching the gospel. I'm looking at a guy who's vaping on the front row, but he's worshiping Jesus. He's coming in the Shekinah glory. You know what I mean? Like, it's just great. I'm like, don't, look, don't, look, be careful what you call small. Don't let the enemy use you to call something small where God is present. God put that in you. God's doing that in you. God's using you. God gave you that job. God gave you that position. God gave you that ministry. You know what I mean? Be careful. Every time you are going to call something small, check yourself. Did God give it to you? Or if God gave it to you, let it be blessed. I don't care if it's three chicken tenders as a prize. Bless it in the name of Jesus. I don't care how small it is. Don't call it small. At some point, culture taught that man that significance is connected to size. And what he forgot is that significance is connected to the Holy Spirit and what God is doing through him and through that church and lives being changed. God doesn't look at what people look at. We got to get this in our mind. God doesn't measure the way that we measure To him, it's a lot. And it's important. Let me say it again. What you're working with, a little bit of money, a little bit of talent, a little bit of knowledge, a little bit of influence, right now in this season of your life, to God, it's a lot. And it's important. Don't call it small. I've read John 6 so many times, preached on it, who knows how many times. And as I was studying back through it a little bit this week, I realized, I mean, this is kind of like, duh, but for the first time it stood out to me that Jesus never called the food small, right? It's Andrew. Jesus never says, yeah, it's small, but Andrew identifies the size, Jesus doesn't even talk about it. Jesus doesn't even recognize the size of what they're dealing with. Andrew's like, but it's small. Jesus is like, all right, so let's see how we want to break this up. And here's why Jesus doesn't talk about size. It's because Jesus knew what it was going to be. While Jesus is looking at, like, I've got to wrap your minds around this. Christ knows what's about to happen. He knows that 15,000 people are about to eat and that there are going to be 12 baskets. See, God is just funny. He's like, not only am I going to feed everybody, but I'm going to give every one of you disciples a leftover doggy bag to take home with you just to prove it's enough. Jesus is looking at it and already sees what it's going to do. When God sees what you're working with, he doesn't see what you currently have. He sees what it's going to be. That's important for you to recognize. So watch this. When you call it small, you're talking towards the influence of what it will be. God sees a changed life. God sees an impact. Listen, for every person that's been walking with us through this journey of planning this church, we might have called it small once, but let's talk about the impact. We were at a director's meeting this past week with our staff talking. And I was sitting there talking to Tim. Tim's been with us from day one, moved here from Memphis. and went in a room with 16 people that we call our directors that lead this church and we're talking and planning through two services in our own building, talking about how for the past seven Sundays there's been people in the overflow room. And after the meeting's over, I look at Tim, I said, Can you believe this? Because what y'all may or may not know is that at one point there was about eight of us sitting in my living room in Memphis, going, you know what? Maybe. Maybe. Maybe if we move out and just step out in faith, maybe God will use the little. That we have an impact, and now you're sitting here. And this past week, we saw over 70 people go to small groups, and we had over 40 people stuff Easter eggs. And you guys, guess what? We must be doing something right because you keep coming back. And so we've built a church. And wouldn't it have been silly in 2017 for us to look around at at those of us that were going to plant this church, Scout? You were there. To look at each other and be like, amen, I think what we're going to build is going to be small. We could have called it small then. We were joking about this. We were working out Saturday. We were talking about the second day we launched the church. The first day, everybody came to see what it was about. The second day, everybody said, we don't want to go back there. So we came out the second Sunday. What did we say about 20 people. There was about tw- we went from like 270 people, and in the next six days, there was 20 people. And I was like, I quit today like to be done today we could have called it small right then but god saw what it was going to be and this is not my sermon but i do feel pressed by the holy spirit to tell you this we're moving into two services because god sees what it's going to be don't call it small check yourself don't call it small I heard a word this past week that said one is too small of a number for God to do anything great. So we got to go to two. We got to keep spreading out. We got to keep giving God the opportunity to do more, right? Can't call it small. God has put you, watch this, God has put in you exactly what you need to accomplish the next goal he has for you. You don't get to label it little. Now, here's the interesting thing about John 6. I I referenced real quickly the story of Elijah and the widow when she is about to cook one last meal and die. And Elijah says, no, go and make me something to eat. Go and and collect oil from everybody. And she ends up with this oil, ends up being more than enough. And then I'm reading this whole concept of feeding feeding the 5,000 and end up being enough. And I'm processing that, processing this. And. Here's a little prophetic word for you. Ready? When we give the little that we have to God, it won't be little for long. If you'll give a little bit of time to God, it won't be little for long. If you trust God a little bit, it won't be little for long. If you give God just a little bit of your life and a little bit of your finances and a little bit of your giftings, it won't be little for long because God will take it. And start to multiply it. Real quick, as we close, let's go back to John chapter 6. Watch this. You can skip that one, sorry. John chapter 6, verse 12, watch this. When they, had all, when they had all had enough to eat. Everybody say enough. When they all had enough to eat. How much do they have? So it started off what? Small, and now we got what? Enough. Because every time we give God a little, when he adds himself to it, it's enough. All right, that's not even my point. Watch this. He said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them. They filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. I want to bring a thought to close, but first I want to invite the worship team up real quick. I know normally I don't do it this early, but the Lord gave me a revelation during that second song, and I want to share it. I had never seen this before. If you study the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 to the disciples, it's in, it's in, I think it might be in all the gospels, certainly in three. But when Jesus uses the bread and and the fish and he feeds the 5,000, in case you've ever done study on this, I think you'll agree with me. It's not Jesus handing out the food, okay? Jesus takes it, he blesses it, breaks it before the Lord and then the Bible says he gives it back to the disciples and then the disciples go and distribute it and as the disciples are distributing it then all of a sudden it is enough. Now here's what I'd never seen before is that it says that it was uh, pieces of the five barley loaves. Did you see that? When we started reading for this sermon we said just a small just a few small barley loaves. Now now Go with me on this because this is fresh, but go with me on this. What they're using didn't change, right? Like, I, I think there's something in us that thinks God might just change what we have. But what they had didn't change. It was still a small barley loaf. It was just as they went and as they gave, And as they gave it up to God and gave it to other people, it continued to be enough. What I'm trying to tell you is if you think that God needs to add something to what you got, if you think God needs to give you something different, well, God, if you'll take this and give me something better, I'm trying to tell you it's what you have. It's just when you give it to God. The moment you turn over your marriage, the moment you turn over your finances, the moment you turn over your life to God, what was little, watch this, it doesn't change, it's still you, it's just now being used by God. And so what was once identified as small is now enough. A couple of days ago Casey Ray wanted to go to Target she had got some money for some reason I don't know and she wanted to go to Target and so we're in Target we go down this particular toy aisle and she sees this toy and she's at an age where she understands math and she knows that she had I think she had fifteen dollars so we walk up to this toy, and if you've been to Target, you know, they got the little prices underneath the toy, and she sees it. She's like, Dad, this is what I want. It's what I've been wanting. Da, 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 da. And I was like, Well, how much money do you have? And she said, I have $15. I said, Okay, well, well, how much is it? And she did the math, you know, and she said, It's $19.99. I said, Well, what does that mean? And she said, I don't have enough. I said, No, you don't. And so you kind of see it on her face, you know, kind of like, oh man. And so I looked at her, Sam, I said, get it. And she goes, What? I said, just just get it. She said, Are we are we are we buying it? I said, Yeah, we're gonna buy it. She said, how how are we gonna buy it, Dad? I don't have enough. So you're with me. When we got to the checkout. I didn't give her more money. She put in what she had, and I gave the rest. Listen to me, young man, young woman, listen to me, couple, listen to me, man of God, woman of God, teenager. Listen to me. You just give what you got, he'll do the rest. He'll give the rest. Sometimes you don't know you need a word till you get it. Everybody stand. Everybody stand. We're about to to take this. We're about to hit this ball out the park. So sometimes you don't know you need a word till you get it. So I was doing my little prayer walking on the track. Y'all know that I do? And I was listening to a sermon, and they talked about a song in that sermon that wasn't out yet. You can't find it on Spotify. It's not out. But they referenced it. So I went and searched it on YouTube. And I found it on YouTube. And I'm walking, I'm praying. I didn't really have anything. Like, if you would have walked up to me and said, are you doing okay? I said, I'm doing pretty good. I don't have any major problems. I mean, it's life, but. So I'm walking and I'm praying. I hit play on this song. And the first, the first line in the song says, he's in it with me. And I broke. Started ugly crying in the gym. I didn't know I needed to hear it. He's in it with me. It goes on to say, He's working through me. He's fighting for me. God is not against me. He's in it with me. He's working through me. He's fighting for me. God is not against me. So they start singing the bridge of that song this morning. Y'all saw me, I lost it. snotting over here on the altar. Because it's the same principle, it's just saying differently. And when you live in a culture that tells you you don't have enough, there's nothing more freeing than to know he's in it with me. And that where mine stops, God takes over. Amen? Prayer team, do me a favor. Come down for a second. We're going, we're going to do something here real quick. Number one is this. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want to give you that opportunity this morning. You say, I've never accepted Christ as my Savior. Here's what I want you to do. When we start to sing, I want you to come down front. One of these prayer team members, they're prayed up. They're ready to go. They're going to talk to you about that. They're going to walk you through that. For every other person, listen to me. We're going to go back into the bridge of that song that talks about God being with us. This is your moment. This is your moment to put your hands in the air and say, God, I'm, try- I'm, I'm done trying to do it on my own. I understand that I'm not enough, and I don't have enough, and where I stop, I'd like you to take over. I want to be like Casey was to Troy. I want to be standing there going, God, I can't do it. And I want to hear you say, you are with what? Me. You're with me. I am your father. I am God. I am your savior. You are with me and I am with you. Listen me don't hold on to it no more don't you walk out of this church with it you better put your hands in the air and you better say god i can't do it i need you amen can we do it right now close your eyes father we thank you right now for your word if there's anybody in this room that's never accepted you as their savior i pray this would be the morning for every person that's been trying to do it on their own for every person that knows and believes and thinks that they aren't enough let them know right now they're not enough but you are you are Father, for the one that's been asking, I I, I don't know. I don't have enough to do this. I don't have the resources to do that. Right now, like only your Holy Spirit can do, remind them that you are with them. You're with them. Come on, just start to ask them. Say, God, would you be with me? Come on, ask him. Be with me in my marriage, Father. Father, would you be with me in my marriage? Would you be with me in my finances? Would you be with me in my health? Would you be with me with my teenager? Would you be with me with my brand new baby? Would you be with me as we try to get pregnant? Would you be with me as we try to find a job? Father, would you be with me? And his answer is yes. Hallelujah.